Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadabby, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 29th meeting of Spew to order. Lavender. Hello, Queerness. How have you been? Busy. Very busy. But not bad. Just busy. You want to talk about the exciting stuff you've been going through with Abby? So, we have decided to homeschool Abby Kadabby for as long as we possibly can through this school year, at least. It's currently the best decision for us, and we've only been doing it about, technically really, about a week, a week and a half, tops, but it's so far working really well. It's been very freeing, <laughs> as I was telling Queerness earlier this week. <laughs> we're, we're really enjoying it, so we got to tell some of our good friends this news last night, too, and one of them is an exceptional ed teacher in a different school district than what Abby was in. Mm -hmm. And she was, um, she was kind of floored. I mean, not in a bad way, but she was just like, I can't believe it. And I was telling her like how actually easy it was and flexible and it worked out really well for us. And she just, she was very supportive, but she was, she was shocked. <laughs> yeah. When you told me I was pretty shocked just because of what we talked about, about now trying to get her back in is not going to be super easy. Well, it's never super easy, honestly. You know, she'll... Because we don't do extended school year for her, which is a program in our school district that is supposed to keep kids in the routine through summer and provide some, you know, educational setting to still continue working towards their IEP goals. But we always opt out of that every year because it's very... It's just very thrown together. It doesn't feel mm. like there's any thought put into it. They only go like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for just a few hours and it's only for like four weeks and then they still get a little bit of a summer break. So it doesn't really keep them in any sort of routine. Mm -mm. And it honestly just throws everything off because it's not their same teacher. It They might not have a para-pro if they need one. It's just not for us. So it's always a hard transition back into school after summer. And it feels like that tough transition lasts forever. Until Christmas break. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if we can keep this up with Abby, I'll be very happy. I have more classes scheduled. I actually, the um, first class that I had scheduled, we had a family of five sign up. And we're limited at the moment to nine people. So I'm going to do a private class for them. Ooh. And then I still have got five people signed up now. For the main class so i am both excited and very nervous oh don't be nervous you were so perfect at this i know you are private classes queerness this is so awesome this is really taken off for you important dates the first half of the month october 4th is mcgonagall's birthday and october 10th is mine Woohoo! also angelina johnson and armando dippet were born in october Days unknown. It's 
interesting how we know so many of these dates, and it's all from context clues. And the fact that we know so many of them, but yet some of them are still unknown, is just interesting to me. <laughs> so Quirinus, what are we talking about today? So we are going to talk about brooms. Why? I don't know. I got really interested in brooms and got three pages of notes. Mm-hmm. He found a lot of lore on brooms. Whereas I have no notes. I'm just here for conversational purposes. This is all new to me. <laughs> so the first thing I got is just other things you can do with brooms. This is um, from Pottermore, but not from something that J.K. Rowling personally wrote. But you can use brooms to dry your clothes, walk your dog, play with your cat, carry your shopping, Christmas decorations, cleaning. You know, those actually all sound pretty handy. I would get a broom for those purposes. I would. Hmm? Walk the dog and not have to actually walk. <laughs> I think my dog would actually like the broom if we did that. Would he try to chew the broom, you think? Oh, Big no, stick. no. Brooms and vacuums create the same response of just growling. <laughs> Although, there was a day that he was, it was like raining, and so I wasn't going to take him for a walk. And then I asked him if he wanted to play, and he wanted to play with the vacuum, so I chased him with the vacuum for like 10 minutes till he was tired out. It was weird. I've never heard of a dog wanting to play with the vacuum. Yeah, it was it was weird. He was just like gesturing to it like, yes, play. Yes, play. I'm like, OK, here we go. So the earliest use of brooms for flight around 962 AD, they could only go one speed and could only go up and down and stop. Hmm. Brooms became popular as a mode of transport because you didn't need to explain them to muggles because muggles had brooms. Uh, Flying carpets are still used in Asia and the Middle East and can fit a lot of passengers, don't require a cushioning charm, and are banned in the UK for being a muggle artifact, thanks to Arthur. Hmm. I don't understand why Arthur bans some of the stuff he bans. I feel like Mundungus had something to do with that one. Probably. <laughs> but also, Arthur, the earliest we have written about flying was in 11... 07 by Guthrie Lochran, who wrote about her splinter-filled buttocks and bulging piles. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Prior to Voldemort's discovery in 1997, um, flying with a enchanted object was the only known way of flying un unencumbered. Unassisted? The earliest spell for levitation was Levioso, and you could levitate, but you could not move. Mm, that okay. was until 1544. And this is, some of these dates get a little bit, like, how was this discovered in 1544, but, like, brooms have been used for flight since 962. I don't know. But when Guardium Leviosa was discovered in 1544 by Jareth Hobart, who thought he had discovered unsupported flight, only... He could not control his movements, so he thought his clothes were weighing them down, only to discover that his clothes are what was keeping him up, and so he stripped naked and crashed to the ground. <laughs> Wizarding science sounds yeah. so fun. Wizarding science. The cushioning charm was invented in 1820 by Elliot Smithwick, and this adds an invisible cushion to the broomstick. Okay, that that's nice. Although, in the movies... 
sometimes it's visible because they use in the early movies they used bicycle seats that were apparently quite uncomfortable to sit on for several hours in a row and in the later movies they actually used form-fitted metal seats Hmm. The first real popular brooms came in the late 1800s. So in 1879, Elias Grimstone created the Oak Shaft 79. It was very reliable for long distance and high winds, uh, but too slow for Quidditch. But in 1935, Kunda Sykes used the Oak Shaft 79 for the first transatlantic flight on a broom. Oh. In 1901, the Moon Trimmer was invented by Gladys Boothby. It had record-breaking heights while still being able to maintain control, but many of these early ones, so this one, the last one, and the next one, were made by one person, and they could not keep up with demand. Uh, So that's why most of them don't exist anymore. Uh, The next one, the Silver Arrow, was produced by Leonard Jukes, and it could reach speeds of 70 miles per hour. He also couldn't keep up with demand, but Madame Hooch once owned one. I remember her talking about that. And then we get into the first mass-produced racing brooms. The Clean Sweep Broom Company was started in 1926 by Bob Bill and Barnaby Ollerton. (laughs) It was good at rounding corners and was the first affordable racing broom. Fred and George ride Clean Sweep 5s. Ron, of course, gets Clean Sweep 11 in Order of the Phoenix. And this is also the name brand used by the Ravenclaw team. And then in 1929, we get the Comet Trading Company, created by Basil Horton and Randolph Keach. These are used by the Falmouth Falcons and feature a breaking charm. But according to Ron, they are just flashy. Um, They are used by Malfoy, Cho Chang, and Tonks complains about hers. And then we have Ellerby and Spudmore. So they made a couple brooms in the 1940s and 50s. They have the Tinder Blast and the Swift Stick. (laughs) And they were both high quality, but neither of them were fast enough for Quidditch. Just good family brooms. And then we have Universal Brooms Limited, the creator of the Shooting Star in 1955, which was the cheapest racing broom at the time and the broom used by Hogwarts. But because they were unable to keep up with the higher speeds and quality of other racing brooms, they went out of business in 1978. Oh. So, of course Hogwarts is using brooms that haven't been in production for 25 years. Support your local schools so they can get better brooms, people. <laughs> oh, that that's putting me down a rabbit hole of what um, Hogwarts students would do for fundraisers. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you don't hear about them having fundraisers. Or parent-teacher boards. <laughs> Anyways, continue. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, there, there is, um, they do. The, oh, because Malfoy... Yes, Lucius is on it. Yeah, because he has money. The Nimbus Racing Broom Company was formed in 1967 by Devlin Whitehorn. Launching with the Nimbus 1000, it could reach speeds of 100 miles per hour and 360 degree mid-air turns. Meaning at a stop, it could turn 360 degrees. So, of course, the Nimbus was the big one until the Firebolt. Mm -hmm. Flight and Barker tried to compete with the Nimbus with the Twigger 90. It had a self-stabilizing feature, but would warp under high speeds. 
<laughs> also, it cost more than it was worth and was just expensive. Can you imagine, like, you're in a nice game of Quidditch with your friends and you're really going and you're getting good speeds and you're, like, 20 feet up in the air and your broomstick warps? <laughs> that doesn't sound safe. No. And then in 1993, Randolph Spudmore, the son of Abel Spudmore of Ellerby and Spudmore, created the Firebolt. It could do 150 miles per hour in less than 10 seconds, featured an unbreakable breaking charm, and you could actually have the choice of twigs. Birch provided more oomph, where Hazel would provide for better turning precision. Hmm. And the metalwork was made by goblins in very small batches, and part of the thing that made the firebolt so expensive is the goblins were constantly on strike. Sounds right. And then a family broom that we have knowledge of is the Blue Bottle. It was advertised at the 1994 Quidditch World Cup and has an anti-burglar alarm. Mm -hmm. We also have some knowledge of some future brooms um, from the 2014 Quidditch World Cup, including the Firebolt Supreme, used by the Bulgarian team, Star Sweepers, used by the USA team, Thunderbolts by Nigeria. Brazil had Varapados. 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 And Japan had Yajirushi? Yajirushi. Sugar Rush. Sugar Rush. <laughs> now, in the movies, there are foot holsters. These are, in the first two movies, only the Nimbus brooms have the foot holsters. But then, starting with the third film, they added them to all the brooms for safety and comfort reasons for the actors. Oh, that's nice. It's a nice addition. <laughs> that is the sludge of lore that I have collected for this week. <laughs> this was quite a bit. This was very informative. This was a lot. Yeah, I, it's, it's fascinating how much lore there is on things that don't matter. Right. Got a trivia question for you. Mm -hmm. It's not really a trivia question, but it was on the Pottermore Quidditch quiz. If Ravenclaw are winning 180 to 20 against Hufflepuff, but Hufflepuff's Seeker catches the Golden Snitch, who wins the game? We'll be right back. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. All right, Lavender. If Ravenclaw is winning 180 to 20 and Hufflepuff catches the snitch, who wins? So I would just like to point out that no, you're right. This is not a trivia question. This is a math question. <laughs> and I hate math. Uh, but Ravenclaw would still win the game. Yeah, th this question's just mean to Hufflepuffs. <laughs> it I is. I think whoever wrote this just wanted to be mean to Hufflepuffs. Why, I don't think Hufflepuff would do that unless they were really tired and wanted to just, you know, end the game. Quite a bit of news again this month. They've added another pin to the pin collections. Mm -hmm. This one's a sorting hat locket. Uh, so inside the locket, there are four different cards that you can place inside for each house. Uh, that one's $20. And I love that one, just FYI. 
Uh, Fantastic Beasts 3 has began filming with new safety measures and is planned to shoot through the end of February. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are at it again. They have a hearing that was scheduled for mid-January. Johnny Depp has requested that they postpone it due to the filming of Fantastic Beasts 3, but Amber Heard's lawyers are refusing to change because she's filming Aquaman in March and her lawyers claimed that he had plenty of time to work out a schedule with his employers and anyways it got pushed back because the court was unable to have juries because of COVID-19 so (laughs) got pushed back anyway. So everybody gets what they ask for. In even more depressing news the fifth Robert Galbraith book Troubled Blood has published on September 15th which in her lengthy essay, Rowling said that she was liking and following these transphobic accounts to research her books. <laughs> sure. We've got some more information on this, sort of. So, the day before it was released, The Telegraph published an early review of the book. And in their review, they described that the plot revolves around a serial killer, that this article actually described both as a transvestite and a cis man in a dress. And then they concluded that the moral of the book seems to be, never trust a man in a dress. So of course, this led to lots of outrage on the interwebs, Mm -hmm. with Rip J.K. Rowling trending on Twitter, which I just found this piece interesting. You know how when a hashtag trends on Twitter, that Twitter puts like a one sentence description under it to describe why it's trending? Yeah. It just said, no, J.K. Rowling is not dead. (laughs) That's all it said. That's perfect. So snarky, Twitter. (laughs) And then the next day, The Guardian was able to publish their early review. And their little blurb at the beginning said, It is tone deaf for Rowling to write a killer who disguises himself in women's clothing. But we should be wary when one review of The Telegraph is reproduced without question. So the bulk of their review was about explaining where The Telegraph had exaggerated, but then also agreeing that... This was a bad choice, but also saying that it was a good book, apparently. Oh, goodness. (laughs) The main things that they were disproving here is they were saying that this is not the main villain. This is a minor villain. They're also not described as trans in any way in the book or by Rowling. They're just man that wears women's clothing and specifically steals women's clothing and keeps it as trophies. So here is a excerpt. A genius of misdirection in his neat little white van dressed in the pink coat he stole from his landlady V. Cooper and sometimes wearing a wig that from a distance to a drunk victim gave his hazy form a feminine appearance just long enough for his large hands to close over their gasping mouth. Okay. So, the Robert Galbraith site has stated that this character is based on two real-life serial killers, Jerry Brudos and Russell Williams. Uh, basically, both of these people stole women's clothing and kept trophies. Neither of them were trans. That's about it. Jerry Brudos, however, did kill um, four women and in one of these cases wore women's clothing as he had abducted her. This person was the basis for Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. But basically, she has this fear of this stereotypical character that there is only one case of ever actually happening. 
And despite this negative press, it sold almost 65,000 copies in the first five days, making it the number one book in the UK book charts and the highest-selling Galbraith novel to date. Hmm. Uh, but, and this is something I'm a little bit confused as to why this didn't get brought up more um, before, but this is not the first book in the series to actually include a trans character. The second book, Silkworm, actually featured a trans woman as a villain and was criticized for the way that she was described in a very masculine way. And I read an excerpt and I was just like, oh yeah, this is way worse. Hmm. Robbie Coltrane says, I don't think what she said was offensive really. I don't know why, but there's a whole Twitter generation of people who hang around waiting to be offended. They wouldn't have won the war, would they? <laughs> That's me talking like a grumpy old man, but just think. Oh, get over yourself, wise up, stand up straight, and carry on. <laughs> well, then. So, I mean, he at least kind of acknowledges that he's out of touch. Like, reading his interview, I was just like, yeah, he, he's saying dumb things that obviously prove that he doesn't really understand the situation but then he kind of says that he doesn't understand the situation so i guess yeah. i'm okay with that <laughs> okay and then a little bit later september 22nd jk rowling tweeted a picture of a new shirt that she got that said this witch doesn't burn and in this tweet she t praised the store that she got it from which has an entire section labeled gender critical and is just full of turf shirts and stickers. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. Like, terrible. I'm just going to end this section by bringing you this wonderful quote from Miss Rowling. Being Robert Galbraith is a pure pleasure. <laughs> sure. Warner Brothers has started bottling butterbeer. It is currently only available at the Making of Tour in London, but it could come elsewhere. Hmm. In super happy news, the RPG that they have been promising us for years has finally got a trailer. Hogwarts Legacy is an open world RPG, and it's been announced to be released sometime next year for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. It's going to be so good. It, it looks really good. I'm going to have to get a new graphics card probably by then. <laughs> uh, it was developed by Avalanche Studios, which is they're ma mainly known for ports and sequels. Um, they were obtained by Disney to make some tie-in games, and they developed Disney Infinity. But when those toy games kind of died out, Disney just shut down their video game department altogether, and they were obtained by Warner Brothers. So that's kind of their history. The game itself takes place in the 1800 prior to the Hogwarts Express, which that is shown in the trailer with people arriving by carriage. Also, Ollivanders, the Ollivander, one of the Ollivanders still exists, and also the house ghosts exist, so th those will at least be common, but completely different teachers, completely different headmaster, a completely new era that we have never explored before, so that's exciting. And I shouldn't it be uh, Dippet as the headmaster? Well, I guess that's a, that's a rumor, but 
That will be fun. Don't know. How old is he? It could be Dippet. That would be fun. Oh, apparently he was born in 1637, so it could be Dippet. Although, he served as headmaster in the 40s, so... It'll be fun to see. I, I think the, the reason they chose that time period is because they wanted to use completely new characters and not rely on the existing characters, but still rely heavy on the lore. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Which, Warner Brothers is very adamant about letting you know that J.K. Rowling is not directly involved in the creation of this game. They are. They're very adamant about it. (laughs) One thing that they are not stating, though, is how much money she's making from it. Which is something that people... Because people are like, I want to play the game, but I don't want to give her money. I think they're concerned that she's going to get royalties, which I'm sure she will. There's no way she couldn't. It's that or she's already made money from it, so it kind of doesn't really matter. She won't be getting any extra if you actually get the game. Lego has released a new Diagon Alley set that is quite massive. There was a virtual walkthrough with Fred and George, which was weird. I was expecting it to be more. It was more just like a 3D picture. There is a 30,000 square foot attraction coming to Tokyo called The Making of Harry Potter. It's going to be part of the Toshiman Amusement Park. And Build-A-Bear has a new Harry Potter collection. So there is a bear. So unless the bear in the pictures is not the bear that's part of the collection, I don't get the point. I guess it has the Hogwarts crest on it somewhere, but the bear in the picture just looks like an ordinary Build-A-Bear. I think he looks cute. But the collection is mainly uniforms for all four houses in both male and female variants and wands, which come in a couple different colors. So, yay. That's cute. Those will be out in October sometime. In autism news, there was a study on Sesame Street and autism, and basically they took a whole bunch of parents and showed them the website that Sesame Street has set up for teaching about autism. And basically, after spending one hour, they found that parents of kids without autism showed lower signs of bias. And also, parents of kids who were on the spectrum felt more empowered after reviewing the website. That's awesome. We love Julia. Julia is Julia. That's a quote, right? Did I just quote Sesame Street without really... Yeah, you did. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So... In two weeks, we're going to be reading the second part of Order of the Phoenix, as -hmm. if it was a metaphor for autism. So please read along with us if you find something you would like to talk about, a connection, or just would like to join in any of these conversations, please send us some owl mail. Uh, You can send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a howler, you can send it there, or you can... Click the link in the description or give us a call at 407-706-SPEW. You can also check out our website. It's spewpod.uk. We're on Twitter at Spectrum People. We're also on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash spewcast and Instagram at spewpod. Oh, and TikTok at spewcast. Our theme music is by Joan Burr. And until next time, I'm Quirinus. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says... Don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye.